All right, you ready to launch into the new episode with our usual theme song? It's kind of a bop. Some might call it a Blitzkrieg bop launching in. John Kale, you know more than I know. I'm going on a run, DMC. Run, run, run. <laughs> but us. Connecting the classics, another week, two more albums, six more songs of separation, Kevin Bacon style, hey you know more than I know. And I know that was John Kale, you know more than I know, and this is a little JJ Kale, Ride Me High. We already kind of explained what the podcast is about. Six songs of separation, Lee and myself, Will, connecting two classic albums using tangential musical references in the style of Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. We were just talking off mic that we've been usually, so we each pick a song off the other person's album and a song off our own and use that as our connections. And I already kind of hinted at what my song choice was for my album. And you said you had the exact same one. So I had to switch it up last minute, but we'll be getting into that. I just think it's crazy that we're, uh, as you said, to use your words, you know more than I know. We're melding minds. We're weaving webs and we're melding minds. I got nothing to add. I think it's totally true. It used to be a rare occurrence. But for this week... Let's get it started here. I sent to you Ramones, self-titled Ramones, the first studio album, 1976. And you fired back with? I fired back with Run DMC, Run DMC. And also on the last episode, we're an evergreen podcast, but on the last episode, we hinted that we might be doing a studio musician's theme, but we're too punk for that. We're too hardcore for that. So we're doing Ramones and Run DMC. So I guess why this popped into my head, I was listening to a podcast with Rick Rubin, who's always a really interesting interviewer. And at the end of the podcast, they asked, you know, who, what's, what's an album you'd recommend? He said Ramon's first self-titled album. I realized I'd never really sat down and just listened to it as an album. You kind of hear a lot of these songs because they've gotten into pop culture. Uh, like you said, Let's Creek Bop is on here. I want to be your boyfriend. Totally a classic album. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what you thought as far as like coming back to it, but you know, thinking about New York, mid seventies, mid to late seventies was a really interesting contrast with run DMC. Yeah. And it's not just Rick Rubin who was thinking that is also Lou Reed. I was reading up on how Lou Reed, uh, heard the Ramones for the first time. And he said, that is without a doubt the most fantastic thing you've ever played for me. It makes wow. everybody else look so bullshit and wimpy. That's rock and roll. That really hit where it hurts. That's awesome. And so then we weave webs over to Run DMC. Uh, quote from Run saying, In 1984, Lou Reed fell in love with us. And I guess they opened up for one of his shows. And uh, as soon as they walked on stage, everyone started booing them. And then Lou Reed came out and started just ranting about how great Run DMC was. And so he said, Ron said, ever since that day, it was a badge of honor I wore. Lou Reed defended me one day. Wow. <laughs> and then he said, when we used to do our first early shows, the Ramones showed up at every show. Lou Reed showed up at every show. All the punk rockers in the CBGB scene showed up at every show. So definitely these albums are like punk and hip hop happening in New York kind of around the same time. And I felt like revisiting both of them, like especially Ramones, Actually, both Ramones and Run DMC are artists who they were like hot topic t-shirts and like music had kind of evolved yeah. beyond them into something different and then even cycled back again into like rebooting what the Ramones and Run DMC kind of did, which was revolutionary at their time. So I definitely thought looking back at it, it's like there's undeniable hits on both albums and they're also kind of interesting as historical artifacts that like position you in time. Yeah, I definitely feel like it would have a lot more influence on me to hear this as a like teenager. 
I got to be honest that I didn't really listen to the Ramones till I got much older. No, I'm the same with both the Ramones because the Ramones to me were always like the Beatles, I guess, or something where it's like they may have started punk in New York, but did they just rip it off from England and like uh -huh. they were super poppy. So then, you know, hardcore punk came in and kind of changed that where it's like Run DMC is interesting because they sounded cheesy like when we were teenagers and like we thought of that as like old school rap or whatever yeah but really it's like new school and then you kind of learned that or at least i learned that over time and then came to like appreciate run dmc more because they had such a influence on all the artists i liked yeah well, so yeah let, i don't know let's i feel like i could talk about these two albums forever but let's launch into ramones i'll get things started here i'll get things started here and uh, for some reason, the one that jumped out to me on the second listen is Chainsaw. It's got a great opening with the circular saw sound. And just, I think I read that it was the fastest tempoed song. So it, it got me going. So let's launch into Ramon's Chainsaw. I picked a different one. I also could help feel like every single song on this album, I was like, was this in Tony Hawk? <laughs> Either in Tony Hawk or Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, exactly. It's like so infused in pop culture. I could grind, could grind to this. Not dancing, grinding like the dance <laughs> Consensual grinding. But bringing up Blue Reed like you did, I, I do feel like they totally carried that Velvet Underground torch in a way that's not just redoing it. It is very, like, I was just thinking as we're listening to this, it's very bare bones, which is like the same thing Run DMC was yeah. doing. But it's also, like, super poppy, too, compared to, like, punk music that came after. I also love the oh, yeah, it's just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. You got anything else on Ramones? No, I, no, I mean, there's, there's so much to cover. I guess the only thing to note is that was inspired by Chainsaw Massacre, which, you know punk kids usually love scary movies but yeah i'll pass it all right so talking about run dmc obviously i kind of explained why i picked this because they did sort of the same thing the ramones did or and punk and hip-hop in new york are kind of intertwined in an interesting way and same thing with this album like i feel like there's so many songs that either still hold up or are interesting to listen to as like cultural artifacts because of the influence they had and just like how influential this album was and so many so many different songs for so many different reasons but you know that's just that's the way it is because <laughs> the first song <laughs> the song i originally picked was it's like that which i feel like is one that still really holds up and we'll be talking about it later because spoiler alert you picked it it's monumental i feel like for culture of hip-hop yeah, and it was like the first single on the album, and we can talk about it more when we get to it. But another song that I think is interesting for different reasons and also a good song. Who are the members of Run DMC? Got Reverend Run. You got DMC and you got Jail Master J. Everett, Everett. <laughs> Drum machines. So good. You could really feel the roots of like electro. Listen to the jam master as he starts to rock. His 
So just to prove that our minds are melding, I almost chose this one as as well because I thought you were going to choose it. It's like that. <laughs> we don't plan this, but we basically do because we know what the other one's going to do. Wait, so why were you going to pick this song real quick? I was going to say I love... So what I really liked about it was it showed sort of the roots of emceeing. You know, as you think of rapping as you were literally an MC, which I always thought was interesting because like MCs in the traditional sense are like the hosts who are on the mic kind of entertaining a party. Mm -hmm. And I felt like you could really feel where the roots of an MC came from where it's like Jam Master Jay's doing his DJ like beats stuff in the way that like hip hop came out of people DJing parties and then there had MCs on the microphone. Uh, so I just thought it was a really cool like raw version of what hip hop probably was like. Yep, and pays homage to the DJ, which uh, a lot of people who are influenced by Run DMC don't do that as much as they did. I also wanted to do the robot to every single one of these songs. <laughs> you're not a B-boy, you're a... I couldn't think of a pun, but I was like... <laughs> An zero, AI boy? Zero, zero, yeah, there you go. I was going to say zero, zero, one, zero, 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 one, yes. Or a B-boy, binary, zero, zero, one. There it is. Got the disco scratch, not a break that he can't catch. See, but the other thing is like when I, I'm a teenager listening to Soldier Boy and Mike Jones and stuff like that and this like flashier era of hip hop, this was almost seen as like not corny, but like oh, seemed really uh, outdated. Old. Yeah. Yeah. But still good. What's really raw, like you said. But it's also like, sorry to keep stopping it, but it's like, you know, at the time it was revolutionary in that hip hop before was like everyone was wearing ridiculous outfits. So it's like kind of yeah. gone through these like cycles because then by like the mid 2000s, I feel like most popular hip hop was like kind of flashy again. Mm hmm. But I feel like weaving webs to Soldier Boy again. It's like Soldier Boy and what kind of what we were talking about on his episode is that he was just like doing it from his bedroom. You know, anyone could do it, which I think Run DMC kind of had that influence on a lot of people and that they just dressed in like regular cool clothes and all they really needed was like literally just drums and then they would just rap over it. And I remember also, you know, hearing from people that it was the dress specifically. Yeah. That people weren't as goofy anymore. And I think they put on really good live shows that, like you said, brought that energy of just like pure hip hop and stuff. So. But yeah, I'm the same way. Like Run DMC was a Hot Topic t-shirt just like the Ramones was. Yeah. So I feel like now enough time has passed and I'm older that I can appreciate it and more of a context but obviously wasn't around when it was happening so i don't really understand exactly but i can feel it a little bit i can feel it a lot well without going on too much of a rant i do feel like there's this tendency in pop culture to take something and sort of make it into a bite-sized you know thing for someone to consume and you lose a lot of context when that happens i think yeah. hot topics a great example and then i was even thinking how we're further doing that with TikTok where like pieces of content get distilled down into like 10 seconds, even though maybe right. the original video is two minutes. Yeah. And it's also like in terms of music, you know, the best thing of a certain time is whatever's reacting against whatever the popular sound of that is. And then 
once that becomes popular, the reaction becomes popular, then it quickly becomes like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're the originator just, at that point. And then it's just all cyclical. Yeah. Well, it's like speak- a Hot Topic t-shirt ending up in Goodwill and then someone buying it and wearing it and then throwing it away, pass it back. Well, speaking of cycles, uh, I was really excited when I was doing looking up this album because I didn't realize that Craig Leon was the producer of this. Um, I've known his music, uh, his solo music, in a completely different context. He's he makes really like cool new age ambient music, and yeah, I knew Craig he was Leon from Kings of Leon. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> lead singer. No, uh, I always knew he had like a producer career. I, he was in like the studio system. I think he did A and R and. Uh, produced a lot of albums but i guess he was a big part of the ramones so in honor of craig leon gonna launch into a song from his second album this is 1981 region of fleeing civilians this is almost like a kraut rock inspired jam damn wild name but still feel a bit of ramones in here sounds like run dmc too <laughs> yeah you know my thugs are doing for strikers. Hard times. Hard times. We're fleeing the region. Hard times. We're not European. So good. Wait, are they European though? Ramones? No, whoever we're listening to. Craig Leon? No, no, he's American. I just had to fact check my freestyle. like there was a division between hip-hop and disco and electronic music i mean definitely back then but not in our era now maybe when we were in high school but definitely not now that's like a whole thing gen z is like genre agnostic yeah because i feel like really looking back on it like even like punk scene and like hip-hop scene growing up or like electronic music yeah, there's really, from this podcast, I've realized there's no point of separating anything because it's all very similar. Yeah. And like hip hop and disco and pretty much every genre is really intertwined. So quick a story on Craig Leon. I guess he's basically single-handedly got the Ramon signed to record the album. Uh, Tommy Ramon said, the drummer Tommy Ramon, Craig Leon is the one who got assigned single-handed. He brought down the vice president and all these people. He's the only hip one in the company. He risked his career to get us on the label. I love the idea that like he being the hip guy, he's like, do you guys want to hear some of my music? Yeah. <laughs> he puts on this little kraut rock jam. <laughs> Pretty good though. But yeah, this is definitely one of the more upbeat songs. If- listeners want to check it out he's got great ambient stuff as well so are all the ramones they're not brothers right they just named themselves ramon yeah so the origin of the name i saw was uh paul mccartney used to use the name paul raymond maybe it was said ramon but spelled like raymond uh and so then they were like why don't we be the ramones and we'll change all of our last names to ramon that was Paul Ryman was the original Paul before Paul died. He yeah. was replaced by Paul McCartney. Huh. 
I bet Lou Reed loved this when he heard it. Yeah. Yeah, Craig Leon, super interesting guy. Uh, produced tons of al- of artists, uh, including the Ramones. He also did Blondie and Talking Heads. So just some huge acts from the '70s. And uh, his latest thing is he loves. He's all about spatial audio and going back to like redo albums to make them fit in spatial audio. I don't know if you know much about that. Not really. Like you basically manipulate, yeah, like eight channels of audio to make the illusion of depth. Basically, is what spatial audio. But is. can anyone pick that up with just regular? Headphones? I think you need headphones. Just headphones, though. Uh, or speakers. You need two sources of audio. You could potentially do it on a computer, but they would need to be pretty powerful computer speakers on separate sides. A lot of that stuff is like sound design stuff is cool, except when you think about most people are just playing it off their phone. So it's like the phones need to evolve to get to that point. Yeah. But it still would be cool to hear it. All right, I'll I'll pass it back. All right. I'm not knocking spatial audio. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. No, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Just wait till you hear it. Weaving webs here, though. Run DMC. Their album came out on Profile Records. Similar thing. I don't know if your guy was a record uh, like exec or just a producer. I think he's A and R and producer. I feel like uh, profile records, and then obviously we didn't even talk about uh, Russell Simmons, but don't need to get into that. So I'm is just gonna... he related? Real quick, sorry to interrupt you. Because isn't the other guy? Isn't DMC Justin? Or no, that's Reverend. Isn't one of them named something Simmons? I think they're related somehow. And Russell Simmons kind of, uh, you know, helped them get famous. Yeah. But, well, yeah, it's you his know, brother. you're right. It's his brother. It's Reverend Ron. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Anyways, so kind of talk about how music is cyclical, genre doesn't matter. Another song from Run DMC, Rockbox, is another like kind of cultural artifact because it was a crossover like rock rap hit Mm -hmm. at a time when there was still like perceived boundaries and stuff before TikTok came around and everyone said they don't care about genre anymore. Mm -hmm. But I feel like in our era of kind of like, I guess the most popular music was like flashy hip hop when we were um, coming, if we would have been of a coming of age in, Manhattan or Queens, maybe we'd be doing something else or, uh, but <laughs> what? All right. Pointless ramble. This group, I feel like was just great. And they were obviously kind of ripping off run DMC uh-huh. and going back to like the boom bap style, but they did it in a unique way. At, uh-huh. the t- at a time when it was needed, when the cycle needed to be repeated, launching uh-huh. in, connecting here from Jam Master J. This is a song uh, for an artist who doesn't get as much credit as the other member of this duo does. Launching in to the cool kids, Mikey Rocks. Deposit. I feel like this style of beat totally influenced the like trap beat makers. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're right, but also I think it was just, I don't know, I was listening to this album again and it was another one where it's like, Hard to pick one song off the album because it's so good. Cool Kids, The Bake Sale, 2008. Uh-huh. Maybe have to do it for a future episode, but it's just a thing where like 
the beats are so simplistic, but also updated from like needing a drum machine back in the day to like doing it with computers. Hold the phone like a call like on the loops. other line. I'm on the phone with a bone of another kind. So hold on, we can roll to the other side. Inside of my dome is a zone you can never find. Grip hands, you might need assistance. Trying to find where you are inside of my head. Stay in line, single file if you can. Then we can kick it like kickstands. And kick it like kickstands or kick it like click kick flips grinding and tony hawk and you know i pedal to the chain slip so fly propellers propel us to the angels repelling the fellas that's jealous of the name it's repelling to rappers as soon as i stage hit so one two one two mic check i'm out for the high end eq my steps don't use bad grammar so please excuse this i'm just trying to let know who i is We're cool kids. There was a beat maker and a rapper. Were they both rapping? So I don't know exactly if Mike. So this is Sir Michael Rocks. He's Mikey. He rocks. And then Chuck English is uh, probably like I'd say more active. The one who raps more and is like more popular. But this is Mikey and he rocks. Just keep them off the wall like Vans logos. Pull it together to spare change and hobos. Cause if you got But uh like Chuck English is from Detroit and or I think he's from like a town near De near somewhere in Michigan. And uh Mike Mikey Rocks is from Matson, Illinois originally, which is hilarious to me because it's like a town that if you're driving from my hometown, Champaign, Illinois, five points to Chicago, you pass through Matson. And I think they both met in Chicago and like we're definitely a Chicago group. Changing your pocket, then instantly the dame stuff. And they were also like pitchfork darling kind of uh hip hop group of that time. I remember that. All I need is a mic in English. All you need is a mic in English. There's like certain hip hop acts that bleed over into like the indie rock world, and these were one of them. Yeah, I always remember. I think I saw them at like Pitchfork Music Festival or Lollapalooza. Yeah, and they they were like did a whole chant of white people love cool kids. <laughs> So I don't know if it was a semi-regional thing too, but I just always love the cool kids. No, I actually liked them as well. Yeah, because I I really feel like at the time it was like so such maximalist rap and this like even though for maybe older people this was just ripping off like Run DMC, it was also because of the cycle had completed, it was revolutionary again. I remember trying to make beats like this when I first started. Oh yeah, beats. me too. It's like that crushed like bass. But this whole album I feel like is worth revisiting if you haven't listened to it in a while. It's like I feel like every song is like crazy production. I think I always liked this one just because it had the bass and I liked that it was, you know, the Mikey Rocks song. But mm -hmm. there's some other classics on there, but I'll run it back to you. All right, doing some sleuthing here real quick on Wiki says their recording contract came after performances at the CMJ Music Festival and Pitchfork Media Music Festival. So Who is CM that cool kids? Yeah, CMJ is like the huge college radio conference. So that totally makes sense that their like origins basically start with Pitchfork and college radio. Yeah. Um, all right. Passing it back here. We left off with Craig Leon talking a little bit about spatial audio. He was reading an interview and the person asked him if you could redo any pop songs or albums in immersive audio, what would you choose? He said Neil Young's Tonight, Ooh. Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska, that's from Ooh. a past episode, or first three Grateful Dead albums. Oh, We did a little Grateful Dead last week and I thought we'd get us back going. This is Grateful Dead, 1967, Beat It On Down the Line. Beat it on the brat. Well, this job I got is a little 
doing their best Elvis impression. <laughs> Keeping up tempo like the Ramones, Chainsaw. This song was originally written by Jesse Fuller in 1961, considered country blues. So, you know, Grateful Dead doing a little genre bending here at this cover. So I guess part of Grateful Dead's appeal is kind of that they're just this like, Sorry to interrupt the solo there. No, it's okay. I'll bring it Lee back. Pause it go for ahead. The record. Yeah. But yeah, part of their uh, appeal, I guess, is that they're kind of just doing folk Americana in, in a the, live setting, like returning music to it with the real roots. Yeah. But then, but then they out. became a hot topic yeah. t-shirt. <laughs> but I think, no, I think you're right. I think that's how the band started. And then it became the drug culture and the right. tripped out solos and the long performances and stuff. But yeah, I think you're right. I mean, folk country and blues are all like americana roots that i think that's what they started as um also joe brown was a four-time governor of georgia and they talk about joe brown's cold mine all right guitar solo say a little bit like the Ramones oh yes yeah um is that Jerry Garcia singing I I can only tell when Bob Weir sings I don't know I have no idea all right listeners if you are big there's Phil Lesh could be singing could be Jerry Garcia could be Pigpen I don't know I don't know what it could be Trey Anastasio yeah (laughs) John Mayer all right I'll pass it back all right, we left off with the cool kids, Mikey Rocks, launching into another duo, Suicide, Dream Baby Dream. Wow, also produced by Craig Leon. Wow, we don't plan this. They also have a song called Diamonds for Coat Champagne. Five Point Champagne. Wow. Also just flashiness. I think this is our biggest hit. Yeah, this is a banger. Also a little bit of Velvet Underground with a little Glock spiel. Definitely. Also Run DMC on Sucker MCs says Champagne, Caviar, and Bubble Bath. Let's see, uh, that's the life I lead. Just like Diamonds for Coach Champagne.
So this is Alan Vega and Martin Rev. This is probably like early 70s. Apparently, they are credited as the, one of the first bands to advertise a concert as punk. Oh, wow, really? Because they read Lester Bang's article where he used the word punk to describe some other music. Also in New York, right? Yeah, I think so. So you got Rev playing uh, an organ. Rev. Programming drum Rev Ron. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Give you 100 points for that. And then you got Vega singing and weaving webs back to Chainsaw. He would wield a motorcycle chain on stage. Apparently their shows would just devolve into like violence. Wow. Sounds pretty punk. Uh, I haven't pulled the John Cale get out of jail free card yet this episode, but I'm going to pull uh, my third Lou Reed good deed. Uh-huh. Uh, Lou Reed once said he wished he had written the song Frankie Teardrop by Suicide, which honestly, I don't know if you've heard it before, but it's one of, it's like, this song is kind of like the Ramones, you know, a little poppy, but yeah. that song is like basically just noise and these like really dark lyrics about a, a guy killing his wife and family and then going to hell damn because he can't get enough money and I read a quote about the name of this band where they said we were talking about society's suicide especially American society New York City was collapsing. The Vietnam War was going on. The name Suicide said it all to us. That's great. I imagine New York in the 70s was a trip. I've seen a taxi driver, so now I completely understand it. Just driving around going, look at all this filth. Look at all this filth. What is going on? I really wonder how much of that is overblown because you hear a lot of people saying that about cities nowadays. Yeah, when it's say. just like a fear-mongering thing. Talk about cycles. Yep. Evergreen, though. <laughs> We're evergreen because everything's cyc- cyclical. Yeah. It's interesting too how punk has its kind of origins in avant-garde stuff like this. I don't know if you'd call this avant-garde, but I feel like John Cale and Lou Reed definitely were enjoying stuff like this. Lou Reed definitely was documented. I like to imagine that he made the beat and then the guy just came on and just did it in one take. Yeah. Totally ad-libbed. It's just the MC. Yeah. Also, was reading up a little on Lester Bangs. He's one of those names who. Very Lou Reed. I see that smile. Yeah, I didn't want to talk over that. It's, it's great. But Lester Banks, as you know, he's uh, was a writer for like Rolling Stone and some other things where he's, you know, kind of like Hunter S. Thompson-esque person who was just like a crazy writer around a bunch of famous bands. And wrote well, about looks, punk. Looks like it was produced by the guy um, from the Cars, Rick Okasek. Oh, cars driving around in a car like taxi driver. <laughs> we don't plan this.
That was Suicide. Passing it back. Awesome. Love that song. Loved it in our context of the episode. We were talking about Grateful Dead, though. We just beat it on down the line. And my next connection is a former member of Grateful Dead. Uh, I don't think he ever did a album with them, but he toured with them for about five years in the 90s. This is Bruce Hornsby, The Way It Is. <laughs> hey, and that's the way it is. Pretty fascinating guy. Had to do this connection. He claims he beat Allen Iverson in a one-on-one game. <laughs> really? AI boy. (laughs) Also talking Tupac changes. Driving around like taxi driver. Yeah, you're totally on it. Cyclical. honestly ever heard this the original yeah yeah so for listeners this is the sample that tupac reworks for changes also been sampled by e40 it's a real popular like anthem much like it's like that uh just to kind of talk about the world's problems uh this one i think comes out in 1984 But yeah, he's all about preaching, like, tolerance. 86. That's just the way it is. Some things have never And suicide. Uh, Frankie's teardrop is similar, like, talking about how society fucks people over, but it takes it in a really dark turn. The 70s just put people through it. But yeah, so Bruce Hornsby, uh, famous pianist, like I mentioned, he played with Grateful Dead. I guess he was also in the band Ambrosia for a little bit. That's a soft rock band. Um, I don't know too much about him, but this Alan Iverson story is just too funny. So I wanted to do this connection. Um, So there's the whole bowling alley incident with AI that you know. What's that? Uh, I think he got in a fight, or he was with a group of people that got in a fight at a bowling alley. And uh, I think he went to jail. Um, he's eventually pardoned, and he's able to go to the NBA. I think this is when he's in high school. Mm-hmm. But it, it like totally derailed sort of his like trajectory. But all right, I'll read this to you. So uh, for Iverson, the visit was a chance to see the the life of somebody who had made it. Hornsby, after all, had just won a Grammy and was well compensated for his musical talent. Seeing Hornsby uh, thought it could reignite Allen's desire to overcome all the obstacles. Again, this guy just preaches like, you know, doing better. Um, But in in addition to see, there was a chance for him to see... uh, Someone who'd made it big. So I guess this is when Alan Iverson is still in uh, jail. But Hornsby is a huge basketball fan, so he wanted the chance to talk to Iverson so that he could play him one-on-one. <laughs> Who he was, he was sure he was a certain pro. So he was, but he was like a high school kid. He's right? like, yeah, he's like <laughs> 18. <laughs> but at Hornsby's, uh, he invites him to his house. I guess he must have been on parole at this point. Uh, Hornsby's assistant is like yelling while they're playing like don't hurt his hands don't hurt his hands because he's this like you know world class piano player 
Um, but yeah, he claims that he beat Allison Iverson, Allen Iverson three times in a row. They just like right. hung out. Bruce. Anyways, pretty funny. <laughs> that is hilarious, though. He's like, have him come over. I want to play him one-on-one. <laughs> It's just funny, too, because he was like, what's the age discrepancy there? Like, how old was yeah. Bruce Hornsby when he did that? So probably like a 40-year-old man, like challenging an 18-year-old. Yeah, yeah. Like, destroy this guy. Well, okay, so it would have been 93. So Hornsby would have been, he was born in 54. So he's like 39. Alan Iverson, speaking of um, era we grew up, I feel like, you know, he came in and revolutionized the game. Totally. All right. We left off. Where did we leave off? Suicide. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and? Uh, some might say they're the founder of punk, but you know, we're talking punk, we're talking hip hop, we're talking flashiness, cyclical nature, hardcore hip hop, run DMC who was hardcore punk because I feel like hardcore punk influenced myself in terms of the Ramones of that like I felt like they were cheesy because I was more of a fan of the stuff that was kind of inspired by them but also a reaction against it if that makes Mm -hmm. any sense no further ado launching in minor threat in my eyes some might say bad brains but played them before we're gonna listen to minor threat That has to be faster than whatever the Ramones. They must have broke the Guinness Book of World Records yeah. on that. Also, then just talking about genres, Ian McKay of, I hope I never know if I'm pronouncing anyone's name right. I don't claim to pronounce it right, but of Minor Threat, then went on to found Fugazi, who we've talked a little bit about before, but then some people even call that like post hardcore. So it's just proving everything's cyclical. Mm-hmm. This is the 80s, though, Washington, D.C. dynamics i guess we've talked about the pixies and like nirvana the dynamic is where it's like yeah singing and then straight into the screaming but flawless transitions and the breakdown of the the tempo speaking of the breakdown oh, did you fucking get it not quite a hardcore breakdown. Great drums there. This song is also kind of cheesy in retrospect because it's almost like like Kendrick Lamar, like We Cry Together or uh, Eminem, Guilty Conscience, where it's like him talking to himself. (laughs) So are we listening to the Bad Brains or Minor Threat version? This is Minor Threat. (laughs) 
Is this? I was just looking it up. Is this Bad Brains song too, or do they? Co- oh, you would say Bad Brains. I, I, oh, was I was saying like this for is the like a version for both. Um, just like for the starter kind of people of, who originated hardcore punk, I guess. Got it. It's like I mean, probably Bad Brains would be most credited, but then Minor Threat came along, and we've already talked about Bad Brains. I got you, got you. Sorry, I for some reason thought they were both did a song, a version of the song. Also, Minor Threat, Straight Edge, which is always hilarious because, I don't know, interesting philosophy where it was like everyone was doing drugs and getting drunk. And so yeah. then it was almost like more punk not to do that. Reactionary to the Lou Reeds and the heroin. Exactly. And it's oh. just like there is something too about like how the music probably helped everyone get out that sort of release that they might have got from alcohol and drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, Ian McKay, tons. Let's say about him. But for another episode. Yep. But I'll run it back your way. Alrighty. Last song we were talking about. That's just the way it is. Bruce Hornsby actually comes out a couple years later after it's like that. But the tie to Tupac is there. He basically, I think, was inspired by a song like Run DMC, which I know we'd mentioned was kind of uh, monumental for hip-hop at that time to have sort of a socially conscious song to sort of be preaching things like stay in school, get a good job, you know, don't fall for poverty, um, just like changes. So let's close it out here. Run DMC, it's like that. Speaking of uh, straight edge, isn't there that line about my thugs, we don't do drugs? Literally on every song on this album, I wanted to be like, ah, push it. <laughs> I love the huh. Not enough hoes these days. I was listening to Curtis Blow after this too. As in the re- recording engineer, or was he the producer? He did something with this Curtis record. Blow is like a rapper and he, I didn't realize Hard Times is actually like a interpolation kind of, or kind of straight up cover of Curtis Blow's song. But didn't he have a role on the album? I thought he helped them record it or something. Probably. But he does a lot of hoes. Yeah. He's probably, probably in the studio. He was like, this is good, but <laughs> he's more, more, <laughs> so needs more, more cowbell, but for her. Need more <laughs> I was reading an article to by a Dart Adams where he was talking about it's like that, how it was kind of similar to the message. And then it was a song like Sucker MCs that blew everyone away because it was like that was purely just a beat and rapping. Yeah. But I feel like it's just another testament to the album that every, this is the point of the podcast where I say it's a testament to the album uh-huh. that there's every song has had a huge influence over generations from this album yeah especially on i feel like the next generation i can't find what i was reading but i thought i read something about curtis blow was kind of like help them get i think he's related to russell simmons somehow too oh is he okay might be wrong yeah, I thought he helped them get studio time or something, but all I can find is that he, uh, they did their first uh, show on stage with Curtis Blow. Nice.
I always want them to say, and that's the way it goes. Yeah. Because it would rhyme. And then they say, way it is, which is better. Yeah. Like the Mikey Rocks beat. Boom, boom. I feel like this album also helped me contextualize It's Tricky, which was like the first Run DMC song I knew. So were they taking this basically from di- straight from disco, right? Uh, I think you could also argue maybe like electro. It's like disco and dance music start to be like drum machines and stuff at the early 80s. So that's why I was at like, is this just drum machines or are they sampling stuff or it's like a mix of both? I don't know. I assumed it was drum machines, but maybe it's a sample. It almost seems easier if it was a drum machine, I would think, in that, yeah, yeah. that era. Sampling's not very easy in the early 80s. That's what I thought, but then like a song like that, like the stuff in the background, I wasn't sure of that, but I guess it could come from something, some instrument, drum machine type thing. Yeah, so I I guess like disco is like late 70s, you've got people looping it to create their like, yeah, I guess your hip hop beats, your drum breaks. But then I think you you get this element of the new technology of the 808, which I think is like late 70s, maybe early 80s. And I feel like that's when you get new sounds like the Run DMC style hip hop. And then you also get electro and like bass music and all that stuff in the early 80s. So this is yep. 1980s when the Roland TR-808 comes out. Mm, Change the whole game. Yeah. And so also the this, Lin drum machine. Yeah. So I think this album was what, 84? Is that where I was thinking, 84? Yeah, 84. Just like Minor Threat. So yeah, you're four years after the Roland 808 has come out. When did the Ramones album come out? 76. Okay, so that's earlier than I thought. Yeah, I guess they they didn't cross over in their heyday, but yeah, they definitely are. People would have seen both of them, you know, rise. And like those were the two biggest like youth movements of New York. Totally. And uh uh you no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, can we ride us out with the little ride me high? Hang on, I'm not done yet. I'm okay. not done yet. <laughs> Order in the court. Order in the court. I'm going on a run. We left off with minor threat, straight edge, DC. Some might say Bad Brains were the founder of hardcore punk. Some might say it's you know Minor Threat. Some might say it's DOA, Canadian band led by Randy Rampage. Little pit stop here, stopping on another Randy who went on a rampage. Okay. You were talking about beating on down the line. Uh huh. This is a news clip from the sausage incident. Strange incident at Miller Park. Two of the sausages in the popular sausage race got hurt tonight when a Pittsburgh Pirates player took a swing at one of them with a bat. Now, this may have been intended as a joke, but now the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Department is investigating. Oh, Patrick is live in the newsroom. So do you remember this at all by any chance? No. This is, I have like a vague rem- memory of this going viral in like the early days of the internet, but or I guess it was 2003. And uh, this is Randall Simon, who is on the Pirates visiting the Brewers. And they do like a sausage race where mascots dress as sausages run around the bases. And he like stuck his bat out and he uh, he beat on the brat. Oh, my God. With, this With a baseball bat. That's right, Mike. And no one's laughing now. Here's what we've learned. The sausage race took place in the middle of the seventh inning as usual. But there are questions about whether what happened during the race could be considered assault. As the uh, sausages passed the Pittsburgh Pirate Doug. 
Nothing like a sausage without a little assault. The first baseman, Randall Simon, took a swing at the Italian nice sausage. Spot. Now, the Italian sausage tripped and fell onto another sausage, as you can see there. After a struggle, they both got up and continued to race. Uh, we're told that two women were treated at the Brewer's first aid station. And a spokeswoman for the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Department tells me tonight that uh, Simon, the player who hit the sausage, will be interviewed by deputies. Wow. The matter will likely be referred to the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office for review. Again, uh, Mike and Carol, the women being treated definitely and beat it on down the line. will be interviewed, presumably, after the game tonight. So it turns out that the brat, the woman who was in the brat cost or the sausage, sorry, costume that fell, she just scraped her knee and she essentially didn't care sued him she no she said she found it she found it hilarious but simon was fined 432 dollars for disorderly conduct got suspended for three games and fined two thousand dollars did he go to jail he sent no it's not like alan iverson wow Uh, he uh he sent an apology and a signed bat and then when he returned to Milwaukee, when he was on the Cubs, he purchased Italian sausages for an entire section. Nice. <laughs> and, during, and during the sausage race, his teammates, this is from Wikipedia, his teammates playfully held him back until all the sausages passed the dugout while manager Dusty Baker guarded the bat rack. Wow, Chicago so, Cubs legend. Yep. And then the woman that he knocked down, he gave her a free trip for two people to Curacao which is uh, where he was from. And she went there in March 2004 and had a great time. Wow. So, you know, some incidents can be positive, but he really beat on the brat with a baseball bot. Ramon beat on the brat. Nice. Beat on the brat, beat on the brat, beat on the brat with a baseball bat. Amazing. You get to win the episode. <laughs> a minor threat. Oh, yeah. I feel like this one was definitely in Tony Hawk. Yeah. Another one like weaving webs to suicide. Some of the Ramones, I guess, because I think of them as just a straight Hot Topic t-shirt, but they were like subversive in some ways too, like especially this song. Creek Bop, another oh, yeah. banger. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. yeah, undisputed classic. I want to be your boyfriend, also great. Yeah, I don't remember hearing that. I felt like some Beatles what on that. I think Judy what is a punk is good. I think I always kind of wrote off the Ramones because I thought their music kind of sounded all the same. Yeah. Kind of but if that sound didn't exist, I could see why it would be mind blowing. I was reading a Lester Bangs quote on punk, and he said, Punk is vomiting all over your motherfuckers, slash John Sinclair liner notes version of kick out in the jams and not particularly caring. Another. Easter egg weaving webs for people to listen to MC5 and read about the John Sinclair liner notes. But that's just a little taste of what I cut from this episode. (laughs) (laughs) All right.
Thanks for listening. We're <laughs> we're too punk for suggestions, but you can email us at connectingtheclassics at gmail.com. If you want to suggest a theme, we're not going to do session musicians. Too difficult. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>